Well, choir, thank you for that beautiful selection once again. Uh, good morning, First Pres Augusta. It is so good to be with you all once again. I think uh, in that four times that I've been here, we've now known each other, Mike, for about 10 years, maybe, maybe more than that. And it's such an exciting opportunity and privilege to be here with you all to kick off uh, your local missions and looking into your inter international missions week. I'm so excited about you all's care and concern for these realities. Thank you to Pastor Mike and Pastor Luke for all their work and their invitation and the sweet things that I've experienced here already. Also, if you were in the seminar yesterday, you heard me mention that my phone might ping because of the championship game. Well, I'm proud to announce that my daughter's team won in case you all were wondering. And my sweet uh, number three was cheering for her with the cheering squad. So it was a win all around for the Aitchison household yesterday. Uh, this morning, our text comes from Isaiah chapter 56, verses six through eight. We'll consider the theme of God's open invitation this morning as we're navigating this missions week. And if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, you'll find these words recorded. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word and all the promises contained therein. We ask you now to bless us. By the power of your spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see Christ Jesus clearly in our word? God, would you remove the block out of deaf ears and would you turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh? Lord, I ask for your anointing to fall fresh upon me and may my words be faithful to yours. Oh God, may you be exalted. May your people be edified. And may Jesus, your son, increase and may me, your servant, decrease. I boast now in my weakness that your power will rest upon me, oh Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, over 14 years ago now, the invitations went out. Lucy and I were smiling at each other. We thought all was well in the world. And then the phone calls and the emails came in. One email said, I thought that we were friends. I've known you and Mike for so long and I didn't get an invitation to the wedding. One phone call came in and said, well, my brother got invited Everybody else got invited, and why didn't I get invited? Well, I said, well, you know you didn't need an invitation. You were invited anyway. I... 
They really were invited. I'm, I'm not kidding, they were. But the reality is, we did forget to send invitations out to some people. Just in our frailty and our limitations, we fell short. Sometimes we are just forgetful people. When it comes to inviting people to exclusive and important events and occasions that ought to be there, sometimes we just fall short. We're forgetful. Sometimes we're sincerely forgetful, and other times we're conveniently forgetful. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I've also, I've been the culprit in forgetting to invite folks to things, but I've also been forgotten. I've been on the other side of it. I know the pain of being left out and not included in certain occasions that I think I should be a part of. There arose an occasion where there was this annual party and I was preparing what outfit I was gonna wear. I told Lucy we, we ought to stop by the store and, and maybe look for this color jacket this time or yada, 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 you fill in the blank. And I was looking at my email kept on refreshing it about the time of the year that the invitation goes out. And I said, well, the invitation hasn't gone out yet. And I looked at Lucy and I said, well, maybe they're just behind this year. And then I heard people start talking about the party in the community. And I said, well, maybe, maybe they've just got new folks handling it this year and somebody just dropped the ball along the way. So I'm still holding out hope. And then the day before the party comes and I still see no invitation. Well, I thought I ought to have been there. Why? Because I'd received an invitation every year prior to that time for the five years preceding it. And I didn't receive one. And I felt the pain of being left out. I was frustrated, I was hurt, but I assumed the best. And I'm glad I did because the following year I received my invitation again. So I just chalked it up to somebody being forgetful. I don't know whether it was sincere or convenient, but whatever the case is, they corrected their erred ways. <laughs> All of us in here, I'm guessing by the chuckles, are familiar with being forgetful or being forgotten when it comes to special occasions. And we have a tendency at times to be forgetful when it comes to things related to church. Sometimes that attitude seeps into our missional activity and we forget that we're to be people on mission, inviting them into God's house. Uh, you may be in here this morning and you might say that I felt very often that I was forgotten by the church. Well, Isaiah offers us a comforting word this morning and he offers us a challenging word. He addresses our forgetfulness and he addresses our feelings of being forgotten because we see here in God's economy that he is concerned with both the insider going out and the outsider having a place where they can be included on the inside. And because the outsider has a home in God's house, and because God is concerned with the heart of the insider, we are called to reach out to people and invite them into God's house. And so I wanna offer three points to us this morning they are God's promise to the outsider, God's home for all peoples, God's mission to the outcasts. Again, God's promise to the outsider, God's home for all peoples, and God's mission to the outcasts. The first thing we see here is God's promise 
to the outsider. If you look there at verse 6, we see here that God extends his welcome of salvation to all kinds of people. But what precedes that in the bigger context is Isaiah 55, which tells us that God's banquet is free to all. All they must do is come by faith. Broke people with no money are invited to come and buy goods with no funds. The only thing that is required of them is to believe that the living and true God is who he says he is. And this section is written to the people who are in exile, God's people. Isaiah 40 through 55, it ends that section 56 and following begins the section written to the post-exilic community. So God promises them that deliverance is going to come. There is a greater deliverance to which they must look forward in God's suffering servant that he speaks of in Isaiah 52 and 53. We know this to be Jesus Christ, but then he moves on to 56 to reiterate his promises to the exilic community. And there we see him start to articulate the only requirements for becoming a member of this family are to believe, to orient your life around the living and true God. He speaks of honoring the Sabbath. It's not just about a day of rest. It's about orienting your entire life around worshiping the living and the true God, namely the God of Israel. He also tells us who these foreigners or who these outsiders are. We see that he speaks of the foreigners and he speaks of the eunuchs. And God's invitation to the foreigner extends all the way back to the Pentateuch when he told Israel, remember, you be kind to the stranger and the sojourner among you because you were once a sojourner or a stranger in Egypt. And then he proceeds to give his people instructions on how to include the sojourner into the family. They must be circumcised. They must submit to God's right and they're able to be included in the Passover celebration, and they're able to find their being and their movement and their ways among God's people if they submit to his ways. But for the eunuch, it wasn't as clear. The eunuchs were forbidden from assembling with God's people because of an alteration to their procreative tool. Now, Deuteronomy doesn't give us more expensive information and neither does Isaiah. But we do know that they were excluded from the gathering of God's people for worship. Maybe, perhaps, it has something to do with pagan practice. But what's important to understand now is Isaiah is saying those who were once unwelcomed are welcomed. That's the more important thing. Those who were cast off have now been invited to come near. And we know that God's, promise, God's promises are everlasting blessings. He says to the eunuch that I will give you a name that is better than having sons and daughters in his house forever. Now, this is not to diminish having physical offspring. Physical offspring are a blessing from God Almighty. But for the eunuch, this was not a reality. So for God to tell the eunuch, I will give you a name that is better than having offspring of your own was significant because the eunuch had no one to carry on their name. So in other words, God is saying that I will remember you forever and always. And if I, I, I just want to hazard a guess this morning that all of us in here at some point in our life have, have worried about people remembering us beyond 
our lives. But having your name written in heaven will outlast any name on a street sign, any name on a monument, any name associated with an endowment, or any name associated with any institution, because God promises when your name is written in heaven, it is remembered forever and ever and always. And then we see in verse 7 that he'll bring them to his holy mountain and make them joyful in his house of prayer. And so what does God extend to the outsider? The opportunity to be brought near to his presence, his life-giving presence, where there's joy, where there's peace, where there's hope forever. It's called a house of prayer because they are invited to commune, commune, that is talk with God, have a relationship with the living and true God. And the fact that Isaiah is saying that outsiders are now included in this promise harkens back to the promise that God, the covenant that God made with Abraham when he said, in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. One has said that God is the God of recapitulation. God doesn't need to be reminded of anything. We hear his promises over and over in scripture because he's reiterating to us, his forgetful people, that he always keeps his word. And here we see this theme of the outsider being included among God's people once again as a reminder of the promise that God made to Abraham long after he was dead and gone. And we see God still keeping his promise to include the foreigner and the eunuch. So then God's promises are everlasting and they are wide in scope. We see here that Isaiah depicts a home God's home for all peoples. He speaks of God's house and his holy mountain, which represent his presence. If you'll recall on Mount Sinai, Moses would go up to talk with the Lord, meet with him face to face. The mountains in the Bible signal God's presence, his special dwelling, and Moses would come off the mountain filled with glory and brightness. He would veil his face so that the Israelites wouldn't see the glory fading. And we with unveiled faces now are beholding that same glory in the face of Jesus Christ and are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. We stand at a better position than did Moses. And then we see the psalmist celebrating this same reality of God's presence and the people who are included in his family in Psalm 87. He calls this, he, the psalmist says of it, glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of Zion. That's a poetic name for uh, God's special dwelling place. And in that particular psalm, people are described as dancing and celebrating all my springs and my joy, my fountains are found in you. And what's going on in Psalm 87? The psalmist says that among those included in this registry, among those included among the people who will know God are Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Now we have to pause for a second. We can't just run roughshod over those names mentioned. Rahab was the nickname for Egypt. Egypt was the nation that oppressed God's people. And the psalmist is saying, guess what? One day our oppressors are going to become our family members at God's table. And so that's a joyful thing that not only will 
those who once turned against God or turned their fists up to God or walked away from God, not only, and, and God demonstrated who he was, not only are they going to be aware of his power, but they're going to be closely and intimately associated with him in covenant relationship. And so God's people celebrated his sovereignty over the nations. We see Babylon mentioned, another one of the nations that oppressed God's people. In fact, Isaiah is writing to the post-exilic community. So the people that, the, 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 the oppressors from whom they just departed, Isaiah is saying, uh, the, the psalmist is saying, guess what? They're going to worship God with you one day. That's what God is in the business of doing, turning enemies into friends. That's what the gospel does. It, it binds people together who were once at odds. It turns wildcats and bulldogs into family members. It turns uh, bulldogs and volunteers into family members. I'll stop right there because I, I don't want to poke any more bears in here. There, there might still be some tension among other teams, but you get the point here that the psalmist is celebrating. Felicia, Tyre, Cush, why are these other names mentioned? Because these are countries that bear different ethnicities and cultures than Israelites. So what is the psalmist celebrating? In one sense, he's saying that God is going to save everybody. God is going to save all kinds of people. There is no territory, no nation, no ethnicity, no culture off limits. And this special place that the psalmist speaks of was located in Jerusalem. And this is where temple worship took place, where God's presence was located in a unique way among Israel. And so then the psalmist sees a day where those people who are distinct from all the other nations of the world because God is their God will come in and have those same distinctions. Isaiah says that this is a place for all peoples. That is every kind of folk. You name it under heaven, not just post-exilic Israel. That's important for us to understand. God is making good on his promise in Isaiah 56. This is the community that has been delivered by Cyrus's edict from Babylonian captivity. And God is saying, oh, by the way, there are others who will be joining you. And it's not just a geographical reality. It's not just the Israelites that are scattered in different territories. God is saying, I'm going to save people beyond the house of ethnic Israel. And Jesus in his earthly ministry placed special emphasis on this. For when he walked into the temple, he noticed that people were being prevented from encountering God's presence in the courtyard. Through all sorts of commerce and, and thievery, the Gentiles were being excluded from coming near to God. And Jesus turned over tables and, let, and put them on notice that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. He quotes these very same words from Isaiah. So we see that God has not somehow changed his mind. God had always intended for his place, for his people to be a, to be a witness, to be a light to all the surrounding nations. The problem was their forgetfulness and their idolatry. So what does God do? He says, I'll handle it myself. I'll demonstrate to you consummately how this is to be done in his son, Jesus Christ. We see God's promise. We see God's home. As we move along here, we see God's mission to the outcasts. Take note of the language that is used here in Isaiah 56, verse 8. The Lord God 
who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares what? I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Three times we see the word gathered used here. This is redemptive missional language. God is actively going after people outside, not only Israel, but people outside the household of Israel. And the Israelites were to understand by faith that there was a greater deliverance coming than just that from Babylonian captivity. They were going to be delivered from their sins, from oppression to their sin. And Isaiah would go on later in 65 and 66 to present this glorious day where all is well in the world. And so as we move along here, we see that God is interested in a variety of people for his missional purposes. The same name that he used to reveal himself to Moses is used here. He's a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't fail. He doesn't renege on his promises. He tells Israel, I'm coming after you and I'm coming after others. First prayers, if we are all honest, if we're honest this morning, all of us are outcasts. But Paul says the promises and the covenants and the Messiah in Romans 9 came through the Israelites. We are the Gentiles. We are the outsiders and God brought us near. None of us can claim that we are in the inside crowd. And yet the calling is still the same for us as the church, the new Israel. We are called to go out. We are called to be outward face. We are called to reach the outsider, but we struggle with forgetfulness sometimes. Again, whether sincerely or conveniently, we forget that we are called to be gospel instruments and not gospel hoarders. And on the flip side of that this morning, you may feel like one who is on the outside. You may be closely acquainted with being forgotten and wonder if you're even remembered here amongst this assembly. Uh, maybe you're here wondering about this God. Maybe you're peeking through the windows and you're wondering, is there a place for me here where I came to serve? Notice that you are in the right place. God says, come with arms wide open. Uh, no payment is required except you believe in his son, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When I was growing up, Sunday afternoons at my grandmother's house, whew, were a spectacle on many levels. And first off, you would, as you pull up in the driveway, you would smell the sweet aroma of brown stewed chicken, of rice and peas, of steamed vegetables and whatever else was being cooked and dessert. It, it was a cornucopia of woof, culinary delight. Uh, the aromas permeated the house and you walked in and the tables were set. There were open spaces uh, for anyone to sit down and rest and eat. And as we would enter the house, uh, people would start coming in one by one, unannounced. Uh, families would start coming in group by group, unannounced. And you begin to wonder how in the world will there be enough food for all these folks who keep on circulating through the house? 
And folks would come in and, and then people would move over and make room for the next person. And we would grab chairs and seat them at the corner of the table. There was always a little more room for anyone who came. And the food never ran out. But not only did my grandmother have an open door policy, she would then deploy her grandchildren and her children to go take meals to other people in the community. So now we're saying we got a house full of people and people coming in eating up the food and food is going out. How in the world are all these people going to be fed? And somehow they were. Somehow they were. My grandmother had an open-door policy and an outward-face policy when it came to feeding people. And so it is with the church. Our doors ought to be wide open, accepting anyone who walks through and requiring that they only, requiring only that they believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. At my grandmother's house, there were people with disabilities. There were people of means. There were people who were broke, down and out, every station of life, and nothing was required of them but to come eat and be filled. And then she sent food out at no charge. The same thing ought to be true of us, First Pres Augusta. We ought to be a church where those doors are flung wide open to the least of these, the, the down and out, the overlooked, the downtrodden, the marginalized, the disenfranchised. I love the confession this morning. All of those people ought to walk through these doors and say, there's a place for me here. And not only ought there to be a place here, but we ought to be getting off our laurels and going out, extending the free meal of the gospel of Jesus Christ at no charge, except you believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And all these realities, beloved, are bound up in no one other than Jesus Christ, who said in John 10 that, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep to go and save and bring in to this number that the two might be one. Jesus tells us also after his resurrection in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus is blood, that Jesus' blood, um, it, the blood of Jesus is a multi, is multicolored in its mission. Jesus' blood is multicolored in his, in his mission. That is, the blood that he shed covers a multitude of peoples. Paul tells us that in his body, the dividing wall of hostility was raised, that is, R-A-Z-E-D, torn down between the Jew and Gentile. The wall of hostility between God and man has been torn down in the body of Jesus Christ, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you may not like me, but you must love me. I may not like you, but I must love you because this is the one of the chief purposes for which Jesus has come, not only to reconcile God and man, but to reconcile man and man to each other. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus Christ, 
is the promised offspring of Abraham. That is anyone who places their trust in him. No matter what country, no matter how much money you have, no matter how little money you have, no matter what your station is in life, you become one of Abraham's spiritual descendants. God keeps his promises. He reminds Peter in Acts chapter 10 when he says, go rise and eat in a vision. Peter says, Lord, I've not put anything unclean or uncommon in my mouth. The Lord said, don't call anything common that I have made. Don't call it unclean or common, Peter. And if you're wondering how the story ends, if you're wondering how the story ends, where all this is going, where the arc of history ends, John gives us a look around the corner, as my friend would say. He tells us in Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And beloved, that's how the story ends. God will get his people one way or the other. The question is, will we get on board with God's missional activity? We make this thing much harder than it is. But God encourages our hearts in case we're discouraged by saying, here's how the story will end. So if I may just offer you a few points of application this morning. In light of these realities, we have to examine our attitudes about people who are different than us through the lens of the gospel. Let me say that again. We have to examine our attitudes about people who are different than us through the lens of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins, and that is remarkable. But remember that Jesus died for somebody else's sin as well. He died for the sins of a variety of people. So struggling with people different than yourself may indicate that you have a repentance issue. And if that is true, then bring it to the Lord because the cross is wide enough and deep enough and high enough for your sin. If you struggle with prejudice in your heart, if you struggle with racism, if you struggle with elitism, if you think you have a superior complex, if you struggle with a superior complex and people are inferior to you, bring that to the cross because the cross is the ultimate horizontal equalizer. Your sin is great, but God's grace is greater. And the blood of Jesus is plentiful for all of our sin. And this morning, if you've been hurt by those things that I've articulated, that is, if you've been the one who's been forgotten, if you are the one who's experienced racism, if you are the one who's experienced prejudice, here is why you can forgive. Because Christ forgave you. Christ died for your sins. And he brought you in. He died for people who are different than you as well. First Press, we are called to comfort those who have felt left out. It's not just an eschatological reality. Yes, John gives us the end, and it ends very well. But the end has broken into the here and now. And the Lord calls us to act now and to bring a word of comfort now. And God's mission is to everybody. 
We have to reflect on the word, our hearts, and historical realities. What does God say? Who does God say we need to reach? We need to reflect on why our churches aren't reflecting our local community. We have to ask the question, are people right across the street coming into our church? And if not, then let's humble ourselves and ask why. We have to ask, are we a place where the outsider is welcome or do we only want our kind or those willing to conform to our culture? Let me raise the bar a little bit. Do we pressure people to conform to our culture above conversion to Christ? Are we trying to create people in our own image or are we bringing them to the true and living God who is renewing people after the image of his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit? We must push beyond our walls of comfort. We must live sacrificially. We must be willing to give up our own stylistic preferences even in worship for the sake of reaching people who don't want to come through our doors. Are we okay with giving up our rights like Jesus? Are we okay with giving up our glory? After all, Jesus gave up his rights that we might be brought in. I want to say here this morning also as it relates to the diversity of people that God is reaching, diversity will not save you. Diversity will not save you. But God is saving a diversity of people. Let me say that again. Diversity will not save you. But God is saving a diversity of people. And you, I'm going to make it clear this morning, it is not wrong to love people who are like you. It is not wrong to love your kind. But I want to put you on notice this morning that sin could be preventing you from reaching out to other kinds of people. And if that's the case, bring it to the Lord. I dare you to try God and see just how gracious he is. If we are serious about living on mission for Jesus, we will branch out to other kinds. Plain and simple. That's God's heart. That is God's heart. We must be okay with being uncomfortable, reaching out to other kinds of people. And I just wish we would get more excited about what God might want to do in and through us, through the association with different kinds of people than always lamenting the challenges associated with doing it. Can we get excited about the benefits and the blessings of rubbing our shoulders with other people? Maybe there's something that God has for us. God doesn't only have something for them, God has something for me. Too often we think, let me go out and be the hero. Maybe your hero is out there and you need to go find them and bring them close. Maybe God wants to do something through someone else in your life. Can we get excited about what God might do? And let me close by saying this. Let me challenge you to pray this prayer in your own time. Ponder these words. Lord, if I've been avoiding certain people, Please expose my heart. This is a naturesome prayer. Lord, if I've been avoiding certain people, please expose my heart. Lord, let me see your missional demographic. Lord, give me the courage to invite them to our church where the gospel is preached freely and it's freely offered. And the only thing that's required of them is to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And remember this, we who were once outside have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we're not called to be hoarders. We're called to give it away freely. 
So go in the grace and might of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you because your son Jesus was cut off. We were brought in. And Lord, we ask now that you would fill us full of your spirit, that these words would reach deeply into our souls, that we might serve you with joyful and missional obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.